Good morning. Good morning. Hey, it's good to see y'all. I am Pastor Michael. If you are uh, attending, visiting with us for the first time, it's, uh, it's good to see you. I am one of the pastors here at Nansman River Baptist Church. If you're watching online, good morning to you as well. Um, I'm going to be preaching this morning out of Genesis chapter 13. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can open up to that um, this morning. Um, like I said, my name is Pastor Michael. I am uh, the family pastor here at Nazareth River Baptist Church. And uh, we've been going through uh, the seri- this series uh, in Genesis um, about the, the origins, the promise uh, that God has given to his people. And I just want to... Uh, to, to thank Pastor Ryan for allowing me to come and preach this morning. Uh, every time. I don't know what I did wrong that time. I really don't. Um, yeah. So we're in Genesis 13. I, we're talking about the faithfulness of God, and he is faithful to humble me every time I come up here. Um, if you will, let's stand together, and we'll read just the first four verses of Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13, 1 through 4. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. I pray now that you would help me to to preach it with faithfulness and with sincerity. I pray for the ears and the hearts of those who listen this morning to be opened and receptive to what it is that you are speaking to us, what you're showing us about your faithfulness um, in, in in our dark times. I pray, Lord, um, that this would speak to us in, in our lives and, and that you would help us to, um, to apply it as such. And, and Lord, as always, I pray for mercy upon, upon me, your humble servant, and gratitude that you've called me to this service. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So last week, we ended with Abram expelled from Egypt in the wake of his sin. He had abandoned his wife to Pharaoh, Uh, claiming Sarai only as his sister, allowing her to be taken into the king's harem. And this lapse of faith and this act of unfaithfulness resulted in curses upon the nation. This curses to the the nations to whom God had said Abram would be a blessing. The Lord sent plagues on Pharaoh, and he would do that again eventually. But upon hearing, upon, upon learning the source of these curses, Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh um, gives Sarai back to Abram, along with many goods, precious metals, livestock, and he tells them to be gone, get out, get out of Egypt. And so now, Abram travels north through the Negev, uh, which is where the semi-nomadic tribesmen had, begun, had been before. It was, it was probably a really long, quiet trip for Abram, right? Not a, not a whole lot of eye contact be- between Abram and his wife Sarai. Not a whole lot of eye contact between Abram and his servants. 
or Abram and anyone else, right? Abram, Abram was at rock bottom. I mean, he had his life, sure, and he had a lot of stuff, but he had broken faith with his wife, and he had broken faith uh, with the Lord. And, um, <laughs> and now he is, he's, he's got to figure out what to do. They're, they're on their way back through the Negev, and, and already the, the servants are starting to bicker. The, the sheep are starting to wander, and he's got to figure out what to do now. So a humbled man, Abram returns to the, the land of Canaan, which God had once told him his offspring would someday inherit. Past sins, current conflicts, and future uncertainty all seem to haunt the conscience of Abram and threaten the plan that God has laid out for him. Now many of us carry the same kind of burdens with us as we, uh, as we wrestle with questions of, of God's plans and direction in our, in our lives. Whether sin has caused a great shameful fall and our pride is demolished, or conflicts and trials in our lives currently are, are threatening to mess up our plans, or we just can't see how God can make things work out in our lives for his glory and our good at the same time. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to move forward in these times of tumult? Genesis 13 shows us an example of Abram's humble but living faith and reminds us of God's great and steadfast love and faithfulness. His plans for Abram his plans for the land of Canaan, and his plans for us will not be thwarted. So Abram goes back to Bethel, back to the place where God had made him that glorious promise. He returns to Canaan, a very rich man. Moses, in writing Genesis 13, he uses, uh, he uses the same word here to describe Moses' riches as he did in chapter 12 to describe the famine in the land, severe, right? Abram is severely wealthy. With a combination of his goods uh, that he's acquired since his days in Haran, uh, in the house of, of his father Terah, his days in Canaan, and then, and then this nice severance package that he got from Pharaoh on his way out, he's got a giant bank account. Back to the beginning, he goes and to the place of worship that he had built in response to the Lord's promise to him back in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." And then, and then just a few verses later, in response, we see in verse 8, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord there. So we have to assume, we have to assume that Abram comes back to this altar and once again calls upon the name of the Lord sacrificing some of the flock that he's gained and trying to recapture that experience with God he had before, Abram repents. 
And he acknowledges the Lord, his God, as good and sovereign. And he prays for mercy and forgiveness. Even when we are convicted of, uh, when we are convicted of our own sin, we can respond in the same way, right? We, we either run from God like Adam and Eve did when they were caught in the garden and hid themselves behind fig leaves. Or Jonah, right, when he ran from Nineveh, ran, ran further from Nineveh, running from the Lord. Or Judas Iscariot, who ran away and hanged himself on the night that he, he betrayed Jesus. We can run from God in response to our sin, or we can run to him in humble and repentant faith. Like David, when he was confronted by Nathan in response to his sin with Bathsheba, or the tax collector in Jesus' parable, beating his chest in repentance to God, or Simon Peter, who also betrayed Jesus that night of his arrest, and yet came running, swimming toward him. When you realize your sins before God, do you, do you want to immediately try to minimize what you've done by comparing your sins with those of others? Do you try in vain to hide yourself from God by neglecting church or your personal times of devotion or shirking small groups where you have people who love you and will pray for you? Do you shrink into yourselves in response to your own sin? Or do you turn to God with a desire to be forgiven, to be freed from sinful patterns that you hate, with the peace of knowing that in Christ you have declared, you've been declared righteous in his sight. He has made you righteous by, by Christ. Abram returns from his misguided wandering in sin in Egypt and humbles himself before the God who chose him and loves him and promised him an inheritance. And that's a good model for us as well. In James chapter 4, verse 8, the writer says, Draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, Abram's faith in the faithfulness of God brought him home, back to Bethel. We're already seeing this change. This is a different Abram than we saw in chapter 12. He's letting his faith in God speak to his past. And now let's watch as his faith in God's promise governs his current conflicts and trials. In verses 5 through 7. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now, a life of a wanderer is hard on this earth. It was then, and it is now. There's security in being settled down in one place, knowing that you are where you're going to be tomorrow. There's safety in having a community knowing and trusting your neighbors as you look out for one another and help one another with, with a, maybe your beast falls into the ditch, right? Your, your tractor falls into a ditch or, or there's a wolf on the prowl or a rival tribe on the move. It's better to stay together than to separate. 
But in a fallen world, the sins of men and women can brush up against one another and they can lead to conflict and leave a wound. And now, these two men, both with great wealth, are trying to settle the one in the same land with two different camps, two different herds, and two different sets of herdsmen. And it's getting complicated. The herdsmen start having issues between them. And we see this, right? We, we, we've noticed this in our own lives. Conflict in our work, troubles and toils and turmoil between people, right? This is a result of the fall. We, we've, we've seen a direct result uh, from, from Genesis 3, right? When, when God cursed the ground. Genesis three seventeen through 19 says, And to, Ab- uh, to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. See, now weeds grow. Bodies ache and sweat. Microphones continue to click when you preach. (laughs) Things go wrong. And people under stress conflict with one another. These herdsmen have a job to do. They care for their master's animals. And now the the other guy's workers are there caring for his animals and trying to do what's right by by his master. And and sometimes that that comes at a cost of doing what's nice to the other guy's master and the animals wander off, right? Well, whose are you going to go after first? Yours or someone else's? When the wolf comes, whose sheep are you going to protect first? The ones you're responsible for, right? Soon there are accusations and complaints and counter-complaints coming from these rival herdsmen. Anyone who's ever worked at a restaurant, yeah, I worked at a Cracker Barrel, and I loved it. But anybody who's ever worked at a restaurant with other cooks and servers and managers knows how heated it can get in the kitchen. Yes? Everyone's got a job to do. And hopefully, everyone's doing their job. But the way one person even does his job can make another person's job harder, and a fight ensues. And, and this is true at, at your job, right? In your office, on your work site, and in your home as well, right? See, now, in perspective, right? If, if there's a war breaking out with Abram's own tribe, how is he supposed to take up the promise of God and inherit the land around him? What do we do as a people of faith when our current trials and conflicts threaten to derail God's plans for us? What do you do when you don't get the raise that you needed to provide for your family as you thought you were supposed to do? What happens when you get sued because your tree fell on your neighbor's garage? What do you do when conflicts in your marriage and your family threaten to break up the band? What does Abram do? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me. 
and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If, if you take the left hand, then I will take the right. I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. See, Abram knows that he needs to put an end to this conflict quickly. They're strangers in this land. They need to have each other's backs. They need to maintain an alliance here. They can't afford to look weak. They can't look, they can't look quarrelsome in front of the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Where they're already dead, right? We've already come to know that Abram is, is a shrewd thinker. He's quick on his feet, and he knows how to cover his behind in an anxious situation. But notice the difference between how he responds to this conflict and how he responded in Egypt when he was coming under stress. No longer is Abram manipulative. He's not primarily thinking about self-preservation. Abram, as the patriarch of his clan, has the right to take control of whatever whatever land he wants, right? He, he has the first choice. But faith in God's sovereignty gives Abram the freedom to be, to be radically generous here, radically generous. Abram knows that God has promised the land to his offspring, so he has come to believe that there's no need for him to worry about God taking care of him. God's going to do it. He can... As, the, as, the, uh, as Solomon wrote in Proverbs 15.1, he can give a gentle answer and turn away wrath. I think that this is a great illustration of, of what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. First, in, in verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the, the land, right? And in verse 9... Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Abram can be meek here and offer the choice land to Lot because his faith assures him that he will inherit whatever land God will give to him. He seeks peace because he has faith in the Lord, who's promised an inheritance to him like a father does to his son. Abram is able to be generous and sacrificial because of the security that he has in believing that the Lord is both merciful and faithful. And Christian, that is where, where your generosity, that is where your security comes from as well. And so Abram tells Lot that he's free to take whatever land he thinks will end the strife between their camps. And Abram, Abram is prepared to sacrifice the land that's been promised to him, right? God made this promise, and he's, and he's willing to, to offer it up as a sacrifice to bring peace between himself and his estranged nephew. Later, we'll see this again as he's asked to sacrifice the son that he'd been promised. Both of the promises, land and an offspring, Abram is willing to sacrifice and many centuries later, we'll see God offer up his own son to bring peace between himself and his estranged people. Faith in God's promises has completely altered the way that Abram navigates his current circumstances. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, 
for those who are called according to his purpose. If you believe this, if you really believe that, it will lead you to handle your own domestic and vocational conflicts with a godly patience and generosity and love. But that comes from standing on the promises of God. Verses 10 through 13, let's read those together as well. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated themselves from one another. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot hears Abram's generous offer, and he takes a look around. The language here is important, right? Because if you've been paying attention through Genesis, you've heard this phrase before, that that phrase where it says, he he lifted up his eyes and saw. That should ring some bells, right? Because uh, we've heard that phrase where someone looks up their eyes and sees, and then they, they later take something, right? In Genesis 3, Eve lifted up her eyes and saw that the the forbidden fruit was ripe and good. In Genesis 6, the sons of God looked and saw that the the daughters of men were attractive and they they took them, right? And and there was a disaster that ensued. Uh, One chapter ago, right, Pharaoh saw that Sarai was an attractive woman and he takes her into his household. All All of these people saw and took to disastrous results. Mankind doesn't make the best decisions when we make judgments based only on what we see. Mankind does not make the best decisions when, when it makes dis- judgments based on only what it sees. History is a long series of, of stories of mankind taking what they see as good and reaping disastrous results. From, from Bethel, 2,800 feet above sea level in the central highlands of Canaan, the men could see vast stretches of land as Abram and Lot look. But Lot has his eyes only set on the Jordan Valley. The text describes that valley in beautiful terms. It's, it's Edenic, like the garden of the Lord. Lot was thinking, paradise lost, paradise returned, Right? I'm going to Jordan. It's like the land of Egypt, says verse 11. Can you, can you imagine how that must have sounded to Moses' first audience, right? Moses was writing this in the desert to Israel. Like, he saw that it was like the land of Egypt, right? That, everyone knows that Egypt isn't really the standard for like a good place to end up. That's, that's not where you want to be in, if, you're, if you're an Israelite, But Lot doesn't know that yet, right? Lot doesn't know. Before the Lord um, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the text hints that that the land there was gorgeous. And that's what he sees. He sees a fertile land, plush with greenery, perfect for raising flocks and herds and grandchildren. Lot pondered, 
I'll go east. Right? I'll go east, he says to, to Uncle Abram. And he packs his stuff, heads east. Now again, if you've been paying attention, you do not want to go east anywhere in Genesis. Most of the Bible, in fact. Adam and Eve were banished from Eden, and they went east. Cain, as a part of his judgment for killing his brother Abel, was sent east. He was sent to the land of Nod, east of Eden. So he was sent further east. Babel was in the land of Shinar, right, in the east. And eventually, in the rest of the Old Testament, we'll see that the many terrible enemies of of Israel and Judah come from the east. There's the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, Assyria, Babylon, Persia. They all come from the east. But Lot doesn't know that, does he? He separates himself from Abram, the chosen one of God, and moves his tent to the fertile uh, Jordan River Valley. But things are not as good as they look near Sodom. Twice Moses gives us a hint that Sodom and Gomorrah are destined for ruin. In verse 10, its destruction is foretold. And in verse 13, we, we see that the men of Sodom are identified as wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot goes with high hopes right into the, into, into the jaws of destruction. Proverbs 14.12 tells us, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. See, Lot may not have known what the Sodomites were like. Maybe, I mean, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Apparently they had a reputation, but maybe Lot hasn't heard. He's been in Egypt for a while. But he knew that their, their land seemed to hold the promise of material success. The allure of worldly abundance, right? Prideful gain, as the Bible says later on. The good life, right? They have a, they have a habit of drawing us away from God's greater promises of eternal life, right? We want the good life, but God wants to give us eternal life. Beware of chasing only that which looks good and moving your tent to Sodom. The bard, right? William Shakespeare famously wrote, all that glisters is not gold. And yes, I pronounced that right. He said glisters. We've all just turned it into glitters, but who am I to correct Shakespeare? When you come to a point of decision in your life, right, are you basing your choices on what appears to be most aesthetically pleasing? Or that which appears to have the greatest potential for financial and material increase in wealth? Those directions may indeed be the right decisions for you and your family. That may be what God is calling you to to do, but how will you know if you're not seeking the wisdom of the Lord from a heart that genuinely desires his glory in your life first and foremost? Psalm 1611 says it like this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It may not have been that Lot was taking advantage of Abram and leave, leaving him high and dried for, in some like fallow land, right? He, just, he saw good land that was offered to him and he took it. The, the point is, the problem is that Lot separates from Abram, who has been the source of most, if not all, of Lot's own wealth. And, and due to God's blessing on, on Abram, right, Lot, Lot's got 
he's gotten to live pretty comfortably for a while. And now he's chosen the portion of the land where he felt he would prosper. You can't totally blame him. He left Abram, though. And he left Bethel with its altar to the Lord. And he left Canaan, the promised land. And he sought riches near the city of men, of wicked men. Verses 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Finally, right? The Lord speaks to Abram. He tells his servant that it is now his turn to lift up his eyes and see. In Hebrew, God uses a rhetorical device that's extremely rare to be, to, to be used by God. In fact, it's, it's only seen three other times in the entire Old Testament. Every time God uses this Hebrew word, uh, it's, it's nah, right? That, no, not that y'all care, but it's nah. It's untranslated in most, in most Bible translations. He's, he's asking someone to do something that transcends human comprehension. So he, he says it here. He says it again in, in chapter 15, verse 5, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, where God asks Abram to count the stars. And now count the stars. In, in uh, Genesis 2, 22, he says it again, nah, right? He asks God now, or asks Abram, now offer up your son Isaac as a burnt offering. And then in Exodus 11, chapter 11, verse 2, God tells Moses, asks Moses to have the Israelites ask the Egyptians to give them their silver and gold jewelry as they're about to, to leave the land. And here, in Genesis 13, 14, the Lord tells a 75-year-old childless nomad to feast his eyes on the entire land of Canaan as far as he can see and to exercise an, ex an extraordinary amount of faith. Every time God uses that terminology, he's, he's calling his people to believe something crazy. And we read about this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through, through 10. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called, out, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Lot chose the portion of the land whose city foundations were wickedness and self-service and worldliness. But God's promises, God promises that all the land of the, the Jordan Valley that Lot chose, along with the rest of that country, would one day return to Abram and to his offspring. It's important to take note that the Lord here expanded the promise from, from chapter 12, right? To your offspring I will give this land becomes now in chapter 13 to you and your offspring forever. 
I will give this land. His promise in chapter 12, I will make you a great nation, becomes, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. And now he tells him this whole new part, right? He says, walk this land before I will give it to you. It's not just for his offspring eventually. God is giving it to him now. Abram, feast your eyes on everything you see here. It is yours. Like Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden. In these days in the Near East, it was a custom that a man, when he purchased a large tract of land, would walk throughout the land with the seller to finalize the deal. I saw that sometimes when live, you know, growing up, visiting my granddaddy in the south. I think people still do that a lot. Maybe uh, when a king would rise to power, right, he would, he would take a royal tour to so- survey his domain. The Lord is literally right now deeding over the land of, of Canaan to Abram and to his yet-to-be-born offspring forever. And this doesn't even occur fully for several hundred more years. But if we fast forward and we look in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we see God echo this promise again to Moses, just as he's about to die. In Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 4, it's written, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your, your eyes, but you shall not go over there. The Lord fulfills his plans. And Abram, who only one chapter earlier in this story seemed to make a mockery of his faith, whose own nephew claimed the choice portion of the land, who we'll see still tries to help God out in fulfilling his promises, even after this amazing reaffirmation of the promise. Yet Abram's life is, a, is showing that he is not the same man that he once was. He's a man of faith. And, and in chapter 15, verse 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He had an amazing faith that God credits by, by his grace, righteousness to him. And so we end, we end this chapter, we end this passage in verse 18, where it says, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mam, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So this morning, we've, we've seen the Lord God reaffirm his promise to Abram, and now Abram reaffirms his devotion to the Lord. When Abram returned at the beginning of this passage, broken from Egypt, he came back to Bethel to the altar that he had once built to praise God. And now, as he settles by these massive oak trees outside of Hebron, he builds another altar. Because he has come to realize that wherever he is, 
The Lord is going to be with him. And the Lord, who has given him everything he has, deserves to be acknowledged and honored and praised for his goodness and glory and grace. Lot moved his tent where his eyes told him would be expedient. Far from Bethel, far from Abram, but Abram moves his tent where the Lord has promised him everything. And in faith, the first structure he builds is an altar. So what? We must walk by faith in the promises of God. Because we know that God will not fail to bring about his plans. His plans for us. Past sins, present conflicts, and future uncertainty seem to threaten God's plans for Abram. But nothing can stop the sovereign Lord from fulfilling his promise that he would give Abram the land of Canaan and an offspring to to pass it down to. And the promise was never just for an earthly ethnic group and a geopolitical nation state. God's ultimate plan was that through the seed of Abram, he would give to his faithful children an everlasting inheritance, the promised land, the kingdom of heaven, The gospel here is not, don't be foolish like Lot, position yourself around godly people. That's that's good advice, and we should do that, right? But the larger reality is that we're not Lot. And and the sad problem is that we have already, the Bible tells us, we've already moved our tents to Sodom. We're already sinners against a holy God. This world is under the imminent judgment of God. But the good news is that Jesus is that heir of Abraham, the the heir of Abram, the one who has brought many nations together under one family of faith, created by his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. He has atoned for our sins, imputed his righteousness to us and our sins upon him. And he's given us eternal life so that we can share in the riches of his eternal kingdom. If you're here today or watching at home and your life seems to be out of control because of some sin that you committed with devastating effects or a pattern of sin that you can't quite shake, or if your family or your friendships or your business is strained by your circumstances and whose isn't right now, if you're not where you thought you would be in life right now, and you're wondering if God has abandoned you, or given up on you, or somehow decided to take back what he's promised you, listen carefully. God loves you. You can trust him. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's going to do, and he knows what he's going to do with you, and he will never fail. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He spoke those words to his people, Judah. But I I think that we're not misapplying it when when we cling to that promise as well. God knows us and has a plan for us. And in Christ, he's going to give us a future. We have a future and a hope. So don't despair but walk by faith in the promises of God. 
Abram's sins, family conflicts, and Lot's terrible land investment couldn't mess up God's plans for his chosen person. And if you're in Christ, you are his chosen person. God didn't fail to bring about his promise to Abram. And in Christ, God will never fail to bring about his plans for you. Walk by faith. Keep walking. And keep, keep walking back to the worship of the Lord our God. For he is worthy. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness as we sung earlier. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, in your love, you have remembered your servant Abram. You've remembered your servant David. You've remembered, uh, you've remembered us. And, and by the blood of Christ, you've made us a family, a nation, uh, in your name, for your glory. God, for people right now that are struggling to, to press forward, to know what to do next, I, I pray, Lord, that you would bless them with, with an abundant faith or even a mustard seed of, of faith, Lord, knowing that if you can love and continue in your plans for Abram after his, after his mess, that you can love and, and care for them as well. Lord, give us faith, we pray. And, and as we come to your altar, as we come and we, we pray and we praise your name with song, let us remember the great and glorious, compassionate, merciful God that you are. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.